Open Nesters podcast is a weekly podcast that explores new ways of living as our kids leave the nest. Now in season three, the podcast topics go deeper and wider in interviews with individuals, couples, and experts in areas ranging from relationships and families to adventure, spirituality, and sexuality. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Jessica Fern, psychotherapist and author of Pali Secure. So for those of you who may be interested in polyamory, what it means, ethical non-monogamy in different ways, this expert and psychotherapist author, Jessica Fern, has so much insight for you. We go deep. Let's hear it from the author of Pali Secure, Jessica Fern. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast, Jessica Fern. I've been waiting for a while for this conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. So Jessica's book is is actually like a Bible now in the poly world, is what I would say. Our kids use it, our friends who are where you try to introduce this uh, the concept to poly secure attachment, trauma, and consensual non-monogamy. It has just like really become because what I'd love you to explain to people, um, just the basis of attachment theory, which is what this is first based on, but it's so much broader. I mean, that's so many things yeah. to discuss in this book. Yeah. And so first of all, tell us about you. I mean, you came from a poly background. What brought you into wanting to do this work and thinking about attachment theory, all of those, if whichever come first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I was doing therapy and I always had been drawn to doing work with couples. I love doing couples work. It's hard. <laughs> it's not easy work. And, um, you know, I had a summer where all of the couples I was working with just started like within the same week started exploring non-monogamy. And as a psychotherapist, I realized I had no clue what to do, right? I had personal experience or personal notions of what to do, but none, none that were professional. So it really made me like, you know, hit the books and study and start to figure this out. And then as I was sitting with couples and hearing why is this so hard or what was so hard you know it's almost like people would describe their partner telling them that they wanted to explore non-monogamy and they refer to it as the event or the bomb that got exploded onto the relationship you know these very extreme language and realizing oh these are attachment ruptures that people are dealing with and when i started to bring attachment tools into the work with those non-monogamous couples, um, it really, it went far for them. It really was great. So, so start with, this. also explain to us secure attachment, like the basis of that. I mean, I know it comes from our, our childhood on some level, and then obviously we nurture it through and then have, if we have traumas that inter intercepts and has exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so our childhood experiences with our caretakers matter right? And basically, how well are they attuning to us, you know, meeting our basic physical needs, but also the psychological needs of emotional warmth, emotional attunement, being responsive to our needs um, in a kind way, you know, and really being available, right? When, especially when we're very, very little and in distress and can't meet our own needs, right? Are you available? Are you responsive to me? And we can have a secure attachment if our caregivers were there enough, not perfectly, but enough of the time we know, you know, and, or we could have different types of insecure attachment. 
you know, so regardless of what background we came from in our childhood, um, in our adult relationships, we can have secure attachment or insecure attachments, right? And as you just mentioned, you know, even not just childhood traumas, adult traumas can really contribute to what style we're sort of experiencing. And also the secure attachment um, where the insecure attachment is also when someone is, is overly coddled and they get way too much. And then you think about our lives nowadays, if we have way too much of something or and and you put it in an amazing structure. I mean, the graphics in the book really give clear, a clarity to Absolutely. and I don't want to go into it because it's very it's it's I mean, I'd like you to in any way you can summarize the way you've expanded your the attachment theory so that we can include Polly and I loved looking at it almost from the view of um of how we have our how each child is so different yeah. each relationship is so different especially as open nesters we talk we we want to discuss this in relation to that as well yeah eventually maybe even friendships like there's so much that you could take from this book right and I noticed that you know within the same relationship our attachment changes through the years Right. Just right. different phases of life, different phases of ourselves, different, uh, traumas. Different, different traumas that happen. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, yeah. Stressors that show up. So just within the same partnership, we can have very different attachment experiences, which can be surprising right? and difficult to navigate. Yeah. So can you explain the avoidant and the, I mean, all of the ways that the, yeah. kind of the, the, the whole spectrum that you, you explain in a graphic, it's very hard for me to verbally do. And I don't know if you can, or if it's too much. To right. Ask. right. So, you know, the insecure is usually broken down into three styles. And so one is more of the avoidant or dismissive. I've come to wanting, that's what it's classically called. <laughs> I like calling it more of the withdrawing style. I feel like there's less negative connotation versus the word dismissive, you know, or avoidant. But all of those, yeah, all of those are there, right? And it's someone who um, is tending to pull back, wants to keep people, wants relationships, wants connection and attachment, but also I'm going to keep you a little bit at arm's length. Or when things get too intense or there's conflict, there's like a flight response, right? Um, Stan Tatkin uses the metaphor analogy of the island, right? The person with the dismissive or avoidant style is more like an island, right? Whereas the other end, the um, anxious or preoccupied style is like the wave, right? And this is someone who's leaning in too much, grasping too much, right? There's lots of anxiety about the relationship, a hyper focus on the relationship. Whereas the avoidant is the relationships in their sphere, but sometimes it's not, you know, they can forget things about them, their partners or the relationship easily. And so there's really this, they're, they're really other ends of this spectrum. And then it depends where we are emotionally. I mean, I love the way you put that because you put them together in a way that helps me understand my emotional regulation and where yeah. I come from. So, yeah. And and honestly, as a female-bodied woman that's still menstruating, I notice my attachment style feels different in myself depending on where I am within my cycle. So when you speak about yeah. anxiety, you're talking about for, with a primary partner or with a, with a secondary partner or with both? Any attachment figure, right? So yeah, and often in non-monogamy, we wind up having more anxiety with our 
partners that we're not necessarily nesting with that aren't in front of us more often, right? Um, people that we can't see all the time, we don't have access to in the same way, right? Or we might not have enough time in yet or availability to really create the kind of secure bonding that we want or need. Yeah. So we can have attachment anxiety in any of our non-monogamous relationships, regardless of how we use hierarchy or not. Yeah. So and we can also have secure attachment in all of those relationships too. That do you think really anybody important. achieves ever achieves complete secure attachment in all of their relationships? Jessica? That's a great question. Probably not. You know, I don't want to set that as the goal, right? I want to set it more as like, I like this, um, the idea of a lighthouse, right? That the ship never directly goes to the lighthouse, but the lighthouse is there to guide it when it's, oh, I'm really off track. Let me come back to this direction, right? So secure functioning is more of this approach to the relationship. That's like, of course, at times I'm going to feel insecure or anxious or uncertain, um, but I'm willing to show up in a more secure way instead of, like overacting or withdrawing. (laughs) And then even saying the honesty of like you talk about, like that honesty of saying, this is how I'm feeling right now. So it's not going to be perfect. And there's kind of a mess in maybe how I'm expressing it. And yet what I want to get through it with you is part of, I think, I mean, if you have examples would be, I think the best way to help us really grasp. Yeah. I have a, a partner. We've been together eight months now and we're really doing our best to create a secure foundation. And in the early stage of any relationship, no matter what your style, I see people have an insecure experience because there's just not enough yet. Right. You like, we haven't bonded. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if it's really safe with you yet. Right. Um, if I reveal certain things, will it be okay? Will I be rejected or not? Will I feel received? Right. All of that's sort of there. Um, and so my tendency, right. Coming from more of this, you know, fearful withdrawn attachment style from my childhood, my tendency is, Ooh, I'm feeling like I need something from my partner. Right. And so I'm actually going to withdraw, but it doesn't feel good. (laughs) It feels horrible. (laughs) And instead of leaning in, I'm going to really pull back. Right. And so our secure foundation that we're creating is in those moments, I have the phrase that I say, and he knows how to respond to invite me in. And it's been amazing. Wow. Right. So it doesn't mean I still don't have what is your phrase? How do you help somebody develop right now? It's been as simple as I'm struggling. Like that's sort of I don't use that unless, like, you know, I'm struggling this morning or I'm having even a a flare-up. I'll say something like that. Right. And so that's a big step for me to name it and not sort of hide it and try to protect someone from my experience or think I'm too much because I'm having feelings. You know, and then he knows to say you know, authentically, like what's going on, sweetie, you know, again, it doesn't mean I don't have the feelings of distress, but I'm working, but I'm showing up in this relationship in a really secure way. Right. So, so when, the, you, when you have those phrases, are you, are you obviously being vulnerable and, you also, being, are you, yeah. and, and then you are, are you trying to open up a conversation about your feeling? So this is like a signal, Hey, I need help or I need, is, is that what it is? That's a great question. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's a signal of I need help. Um, sometimes it's just like a heads up because, you know, I can start to withdraw and then I'm going to 
I'm going to react strange, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be the normal me. And of course, my partner is going to pick up on that, right? So it's a little bit of both. But yeah, in those moments, what I actually do need is a loving presence that just cares. Right? And I see you have a, a wedding band on. So you, the structure of your relationship is how? I mean, do you, is your is your nesting partner or your whoever you're married to a primary partner? How does that work in your life? Yeah, so I have a unique situation. So I had a first husband and we are no longer married, but we live together with our son and we're co-authors for my next book. Like we're human partners, right? But we no longer have our romantic part of our relationship that we used to have. And then I'm remarried and he lives with us. So we have a three adult, one child household. Um, And right now I also have a partner outside of the house. And you're balancing it all working full time. How are you doing with yeah. all that? It's, it's a lot, right? It's capacity for me. That's for sure. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't have any other connections right now. Yeah. Saturated, as they say. It's pretty saturated. Yeah. Right. It's so interesting. At the end, you have all these questions and answers in the book, which are brilliant. I love them. And and then I want to go back to the hearts part of the book, which was yeah, like yeah. really touched my heart, how you how you itemize that. But the this idea that we have questions about how much capacity does a person have to have yeah. poly in their lives? And there's no one answer, right? I mean, if you want to address that, I just thought that's so interesting, the capacity thing. Right, because we talk about being polysaturated, which usually means I have enough partners that can't take on in any more connections or relationships. And in the book, though, I say it's not just the number of partners. We also have to really consider our life factors as well. Are you in school? Right? Do you have an elderly parent in the house? Do you have an autoimmune condition? You know, all these you have young children and all the things that um, contribute to how available we can be, you know, and in in non-attachment based relationships, the availability might not be as um, big of a deal, right? We can have people that, oh, I see you when I see you, and that's great. But in an attachment-based relationship, whether it's in the house or out of the house, the availability really matters at like this nervous system level, you know? Now, let's make this distinction for the audience because I read about, because I think in our poly life, just to discuss ours, we don't have as many attachment-style relationships outside of ours. Yeah. And so we're very different. The spectrum of polyamory, we're on, we're, we were primary, this is our home we other people kind of come in and out and i've had a lover for 17 years half of our marriage and yet i don't get to see him more than every month with the most or maybe every three months and and then so i've never really had that feeling of like uh, his needs have to be met which is kind of what attachment right so could you distinguish that the non-attachment which is interesting for Polly. I mean, we're in, we're deep in the Polly discussion for any of our listeners right now. I do want to distinguish that. I want to get to the end why we can learn from some of these, even if we're not Polly. If you want, yeah. hang, if people want to hang in there, if people want to hang in there. Totally. Yeah. 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 But in, in non-monogamy, the distinction I make in the book is we have attachment based relationships and those aren't always sexual or romantic. I think we'll get to that too. Those can be friend relationships that are deeply important and attachment based, but we can also have people that we're sexual with or call play partners or, you know, even a lover that aren't necessarily attachment based because we're not sort of contracting, so to speak of, I'm going to show up for you in a regular way. And you're going to show up for me in a regular way. Of course, it's going to ebb and flow, but like 
I'm sort of agreeing to meet your emotional, relational, or sexual needs and vice versa, you know? Yeah. And sometimes only one of those, like the agree, the contract can be, yeah. you, we are feeling this elevated emotional uh, or spiritual or whatever kind of connection or kinky connection that's not yeah. even about um, what some people would classically call sex. I mean, you know, there's so many nuances here. So many and, nuances, yeah. And, and then and then attachment can sometimes creep in, it, you exactly. know, even to all of those, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's hard when we are sexual, physical, or doing non-sexual kinky play, like oxytocin and other hormones get released, right? And that creates a certain bonding to someone. The same bonding that the mother-child or parent-child bond has from breastfeeding from skin to skin contact you know the same hormones <laughs> so so that that's called love actually it's that's right actually, yeah that's where you know what what it is let's call it uh, you know you you in love no i mean how do you how do you define falling at all those things that's interesting because yeah, i'm, I'm, I'm writing a lot about love i yeah. do think yeah like attachment feeling attached to someone and being in love are probably two different things mm -hmm. i mean i see a lot of couples that are older they've been together decades they're very attached they don't feel as in love <laughs> yet there's deep love for each other in a familial way right? Like human right. to human, but that sense of, you know, um, novelty or uniqueness or romance, right? Or excitement that we kind of associate with the in-loveness um, isn't always there. Yeah. In polyamory, we call that new relationship energy, which exactly. actually the, the reason I, I kind of see an overlap is that I find sometimes I have a romance with a friend that's a new friend that I haven't either spent time with or gotten to know differently and I'm excited to see them, and I, I'm not I'm not ready to fully do a friendship discussion yet. But even for kids that I haven't seen for a little while, like I think it's similar to talk about attachment and and love. And yet, I also feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, I also feel like falling in love to me is a little bit of a misnomer. It's that it's yeah. that it doesn't because it doesn't have control. It's like you're out of control. So yeah. love to me covers the whole spectrum of how. We have, you know, loving relationships, period, yes. right? Like that's yes. love. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many components. There's the feeling of love. There's the behaviors and actions of love, <laughs> right? There's the sentiments and commitments of love. And it does blur, right? Because my son is eight and he's really getting into writing now. And like, I have this right here. I have this little... I love you, like note that he left on my desk, right? And it's, it's a love note. <laughs> yeah. And it's platonic, it's parent-child, and yet there is this quality of like being in love with each other, you know? Right. Exactly. That's, so, and that's I, just sweetness, you know? Just sweetness. Yeah. So I'd love you to get into the heart of the book, which really, yes. really got, got me like, like so I'm going to give right. them the, uh, the hearts, what, what Jessica came up with, which I think is brilliant for both ourselves, which she discusses at the end of the book, like yeah. how we become self and secure by looking at all of these acronyms, acronyms the yeah. acronyms of hearts. So being here is the first, I'm going to ask you to go into all of them. Being here for the heart is first. Expressing delight is the second for the E. A is attuning to one another. R is the ritual and the routines that we create. 
T, which is, I think, from the Gottman Institute, which we read this and listened to his podcast, yeah, yeah. is the turning toward That's instead right. of turning away. And like, which I, which is so interesting. It's, it's the bid for attention. And then again, the self is the S of the hearts, which is really the essence of how we start. But I love how you, so do you first, first of all, do you have questions about any no, of those? No, I, I like to hear her definition. Yeah, great. And, you know, this was my attempt because so, and I talk about this in the beginning of the introduction of the book, that so much of the literature and attachment is highly heteronormative. It's highly mononormative. The couple is all there is, you know, anything else is not okay (laughs) to simplify it. And so many of the ways they tell people to create secure attachment in a relationship many people in non-monogamous partnerships can't do half of the things, right? And yet I wasn't willing to say, well, I guess that means secure attachment just isn't for poly folks, right? So the hearts was, was, was my way of saying, here's things you can do to cultivate secure attachment in any relationship structure. And I'm not going to say that these are things that have to be like, you know, good night in bed with each other every night is how you create secure attachment. Yeah. Or that it's based on hierarchy. I think that would be often what people found is that it was really based only on hierarchy. Yeah. Well, actually, so- before you even, because I, I do want you to go into each one of them if we have the time for that today, but I, I hierarchy, there are some people maybe listening who don't realize. So our relationship is hierarchical by having a yeah. primary partner. And yeah. that's not how all poly is. And I don't, that's, is, right. that's not how yours is. Is that how, what, would you say that there's a, how much, how many people are not necessarily or yeah, even the relationship anarchy, not at all. Uh, yeah, there's a whole range, right, where people are doing more explicit hierarchy. Um, like the two of you are saying, you know, we are hierarchical. And I assume anyone who comes into the picture of your life knows, you know, they're not going to get as much maybe time or attention or decision making rights, right? They're not going to share resources in the same way. Um And then people can be completely relationship anarchy, which would be, it's not even prioritizing romantic or sexual connections, right? There might be like, my friendships can be just or more important than a relationship that's romantic or sexual, right? Um, Relationship fluidity also can go through all different kinds of, you know, labels and styles. But yeah, a lot of people practice non-hierarchical polyamory, which is sort of saying that, Everyone has sort of an equal seat at the table, you know, yet in reality, there's nuance. There's never completely full on. It's impossible, right? I mean, just time itself creates hierarchy. So if I've been with someone for three years versus three months, there's just a hierarchy in the sense that I have traditions and rituals with someone of three years that I just don't have yet, right? (laughs) And that's not, a, you know, an evaluation or a judgment, right? It just is. So that's what's most important is we just name, yeah, I own a home with one partner. That's a certain kind of hierarchy. But my heart doesn't have a hierarchy necessarily of who I could love. Right. right? Or someone else might actually get more date nights a week with me, even though I have more resources shared legally with someone else, right? Yeah. So explain the, let's go through the hearts. Yes, so yes. The, so the being here. Being here, I mean, it's quite literal being present, right? And that is both physically present and emotionally present, you know? So it is hard to attach to someone who's not there. Right? Um, and this is what can get tricky within non-monogamy when we don't see someone enough, 
right? The impulse is to want to see them and get to attach. And when we can't see them very frequently, then that can sort of mess with our attachment system. So being present, but really in an emotional present way too, where I'm open, there's an availability, there's a curiosity, right? There's that sense of care towards the other. I want to say that that's important in monogamy too. And I think all of, I mean, this whole thing I read thinking this is important for every relationship, period. I mean, that's really the way I read hearts. Yeah. And that's the feedback I've gotten. People want part one and part three of the book for everybody, (laughs) which it is, right? Part one's just about attachment in general. Part three is about what to do. And and it could be, you know, it's really the middle part that I'm focusing on non-monogamy. Yeah. Okay. So the E. So so E is um, express delight. And so this isn't just sort of words of affirmation. It's really the sense of expressing delight in who the other person is and not just what they do for you, but like, I adore you. And it it's coming out of me in some way. So they t- call it the attachment gaze, right? Like there's a way our eyes just look at someone, you know, and you know, oh, right. Like right. I have delight in your beingness, right? I'm happy that you're alive or I'm happy we're in the same place. I'm together. lucky to have found you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm lucky to have found you. I love that, right? I'm lucky to be here with you. I'm grateful for you, right? And the ways that that is expressed, whether it's through language or our look or our touch or our body, you know, whatever it is, but it's a really important piece, um, especially in children. This is what builds their self-esteem. And how do you help like, a longer-term so? couple? Oh, go ahead. How so? Um, how, how, so it, how does it... Uh helps the self-esteem of a child. Right. Cause, cause in express delight, the other person is saying, I, whether it's words or not, right. They're, they're communicating. I see you. And I like what I see, not just physically in appearance. Right. But like, I'm getting you and I like what I get. Right. Or it's, it's communicating. Wow. You have value to me. Like your little note from your son. Yeah, you're right. But you matter to me. Yeah. Right. And as, as the parent, you model that. So that's why she that's why I'm sure he gives it back to you. Right. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> right. right. And, and so if I in a long term relationship, forget about those things. And sometimes I do believe we have to behave before we even can feel it by saying, yes, like the way we need to breathe, like almost like, wow, all day long, we I have to remember to breathe. Yeah. And exactly. just to remember, oh, let me also remember, let me look at this person who I value for and show that to them. Exactly. Remember what I love about them and express that delight. And it's not, it's not common. It's, it's a work that needs to be practiced. Yeah. In new relationship energy, right. It's easy. We don't have to consciously intentionally think about it. Right. But once those hormones have subsided, we usually do need to go, Oh yeah. How do I express and show my partner that I'm grateful for them, that I see them, that they're valuable to me. And so in long-term relationships, I just ask, right? How do you know your partner values you, right? Because it's different for each individual. You know, one partnership I'm thinking about, they've been together eight years. And for her, it's literally just ask me how my day is. Like, that's what does it for her, right? That's not what does it for him, right? Right. His expressed delight is very different. Um, But so sometimes it's really these small things, right? They're not necessarily Huge. And I would I would take them to back to the first two. Like for me, after 33 years, yeah, my being seen is taking the time to say, Wow, hi, I'm really here and I really see you. And I just yeah. want that attention. 
for me, it's right. a lot about that attention. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the attention is such a great word because in some ways the being here and the expressed delight, and then even a tune, it's all just sort of under the umbrella of like giving high quality attention to someone. <laughs> How do you balance the, the, the expressive, the, the attentiveness? How do you balance it when it, when, in a relationship? If somebody, one partner feel that he gives enough, Mm-hmm. And one person feel that, well, that's not enough. I mean, yes, I had a date with you this week, but, you know, that's not enough. I needed to wake up in the morning and gaze into my eyes type of idea. Where, where is enough is enough? Where, where do you cross the line? Where is the balance? How, how do you balance these things? That's a great question. I mean, sometimes one partner is giving a lot, but they're not giving what matters to the other person. So you have to make sure like what you're giving actually registers. And that's very classic when people look at their love languages, right? Someone's like, I'm doing all these chores and I go to work and I pay all the bills and the person's like, but you haven't said I love you in years, right? (laughs) It's like, so I think it's making sure that we're feeding, you know, the express delight the way our partner needs it. But if we really feel like I am dishing it out, I am giving it and you, it's just not enough, then I want to work with the person that says it's not enough and say, are you actually receiving it? Right? Like, and what's going on that there's maybe- Actually receiving it means, do you notice it? Right. Are you noticing how much your partner is giving it? When they say nice things, are you taking it in? Right. Um, when they do the things you're asking them to do, is it actually registering? Right. So there, sometimes there needs to be work on that end. Absolutely. Such a good question. Yeah. And it actually helps us go to attunement. I'm sorry. I got interrupted. That's okay. I just wanted to, and sometimes there's a mismatch, right? You know, some people need a lot more than other people and there's no judgment there, but sometimes you go, yeah. You're in a relationship with someone who can't show up at that level. Right. Right. Good. That's a reality. That's willing to give. Exactly. As much as exactly. required. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's coming to some kind of, it's some kind of, coming to some kind of first self-attunement. So, so this, the end of the hearts is looking at the self and the secure attachment and going through all of these steps that we're about to, that we're going through. Yeah, making sure that we have all of those within our own systems. And that's what you're saying, almost like, how do we attune and how do we self-regulate yeah. in order to be able to receive? Because if we're not really rece- if we're not really noticing, then it's how do we build our awareness muscle. And sometimes when people are stressed, it takes too much time. They can't get there. So it's it, it has a lot to do with, you know, and that's what we go through sometimes because I have a lot more time in my life. So I'm able yeah. to have the muscle to practice what I want to do and and Amir has a lot more on his plate to deal with. And so we deal with that on a regular basis and, right. and having to have it's, check-ins. It's a balancing yes. act. Yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. Okay, so attunement was the next one. Do you want to explain yes. attunement? So attunement is the quality of tuning in to our partner. Right. And that can be tracking them. That is sort of, you know, looking into them, right? And and getting that sense of, hey, what's going on? What's, are you okay? What's off, right? Or even just the, how are you, right? I want to know your interior world, right? So it's our attempts to just tune into that internal world of our partner. And it doesn't have to match ours. We don't always have to agree, right? Our partner can be upset. So differentiation is really important here with attunement. Like you might be upset. I don't have to be upset too, but I can pick up on, oh, something's going on for you. You know, so sometimes it's not always the time to ask, which we had this morning. It was like, all right, let me find out what's going on. But there's just so much going on that I'm like, okay, I don't think it's a good time to attune. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. My part, my husband and I had a recent conversation where he would reach out for hugs in moments that I literally couldn't give the hug back. Like I'm pulling apart a chicken with chicken grease on my hands. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even, right? And he'd come for a hug and I'd be like, I, this is frustrating actually, because I do want to hug you, but like in two minutes I could hug you. Right. So we had to get into that nuance of like, you're, you're actually not, you're asking for a hug, which is very sweet, but you're not attuning to me in this moment versus when I don't have chickens in my hands, <laughs> like that's a better moment for us to have a sweet exchange, right? The human emotion is so complex. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, you're, you know, artificial intelligence cannot even resolve it and, yeah. and behave as, as the human. This is, you know, we, we have experienced that where attention is required, where cannot be given. Yeah. All time, can, you know, I, I can't do it right now. I know you need me to, but can I do it for you in half an hour? Uh, no, I can't. You can't do it for me in half an hour. I need it now. And then it's create a friction and, and exactly. you know, no, no att attunement uh, right. necessarily. So, but there's a very fine line between the expressiveness and the attunement. Isn't that? Yeah, It's there a very is. fine line, almost yeah. like a, very hard to distinguish between the two. It is. And, and there needs to be an openness in that. Right. So in terms of the attachment styles, though, the avoidant dismissive is not attuning usually enough, right? They're not picking up on the subtle cues or sometimes the overt cues of their partner and like tuning into, you know, their partner's radio channel, right? The anxious preoccupied style is usually like hyper attuned, but their interpretation is, uh oh, there's something wrong. You're mad at me, <laughs> right? right? Instead of, oh, I'm picking up on something's off. Maybe you're hungry or tired, or maybe you just got a weird email from your boss. Like, you know, they don't have that curiosity. It's always instantly, oh no, right? right. What did so, I do wrong? What did I do Thank wrong? You. That helps that me. me, absolutely, yeah. Right, and so what I do in that case is just going, hey, I'm noticing something shifted. What's going on, right? Just that, I did notice a shift, right? My attunement mechanism is right. My interpretation of it is off. And sometimes that sensitive question can also trigger, you know, <laughs> some overt reaction that is yeah. not necessary. So that's what I'm saying. It's a very complex, yes. very complex and, monogamous or a poly relationship. Right. Yeah. Everything we're seeing so far can be an either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Actually, so that's what I think I'm, I'm looking at all of them. The next one is the rituals and routines. And I think that's why for me, all of these apply to all of them. So yeah. they really do. <laughs> So rituals and routines is the next one, if you want yeah, to. Yeah, so just our nervous system really does well when we have the regularity with somebody, the routines, the like big routines, the small routines, you know, um, when you live with someone, it could be the coffee you have in the morning or what you do before bed. When you don't live with someone, you know, there's ways that we message each other throughout the day. That's like part of our routine or when we see each other, we have certain things that we do that feel like are unique and special to this relationship. And yeah. sometimes they aren't so rude. I mean, interesting about routine, but it's sometimes they're just the ritual of how we develop it over time and how flexible we are. Some people need more, you know, yeah. I, I don't know the different kinds of personalities, but some people seem to need more or they're a little more on the OCD scale of the, yeah. they have things to be a certain way. And yeah. some people like, the flexibility of new things as long as you're slow, showing up yeah. and being in yeah. in a ritual that 
but I do like the some we have routines just naturally when we live together. You're right. So yeah. Yes. So um, and then how about the last one, or really kind of the last one, turning towards? Yeah. So talk this, about. Yeah. So this covers sort of conflict, right? Turning towards, especially after conflict, that conflict isn't the problem, but how quickly we repair and genuinely we we repair is what really makes the difference. How do we genuinely, how do we genuinely repair? Like what is, how do you see that? Yeah. So how do we, you know, take responsibility for the ways we've intentionally or unintentionally hurt or harmed our partners, right? How do we be accountable? Um, How do we apologize? Well, whether we use the words, I'm sorry or not, you know, when there's been hurt, um, how do we say, okay, what does need to be repaired here? Because of course, in any relationship, there's going to be ruptures of trust and, you know, all and ruptures of shared reality. And so how do we repair these things and feel reconnected, you know, and usually if it's done well, you feel closer and stronger. Um, But the turning towards is also getting to that subtlety of emotional bids, you know, and that is like you said, the Gottman research of the couples that really do well, they're tuning into, they're responding to like 89% of the emotional bids of their partners compared to the couples that don't do well are responding to 33% of the emotional bids of their partners. And those aren't emotional bids. Aren't just like, Oh, I need to process. You have to listen to me for an hour be upset. Right? Emotional bids can be very tiny. Like, um, Oh, did you hear about that thing? You know, and our partner can meet that emotional bid and go, Oh no, I didn't. What is it? Or, Oh yes. Isn't that interesting? Right. That's meeting the emotional bid. Or they could just literally ignore what we say, or they could reject it. That thing's stupid. Why do you care about that so much? (laughs) Right. It's all those little things. I think John Gottman in one of his podcasts talked about Mm -hmm. not noticing her seeing a blackbird when he was consumed with his book. And and all he had to say was, I'm so glad you're enjoying it. And he could have gone right back to his book or... Or the fact that we can say in the middle, we can we can just say, you know, right now I I, I would love to listen, but I'm in, I really want to finish what I'm doing in a kind way, and all those all those tiny little things over time they build the trust that gives us what is what the turning towards means, like those bids exactly. for attention he calls it because they're small, they're and small. I I love that I love that so much I I feel like. So you, I love how you incorporated all of these things and even emotional regulation, because I always teach in some of my mindfulness work about the idea that the most important thing we can do is be self-aware and emotionally regulate. Yeah, and exactly. All of this kind of covers. Right. I mean, so look a little more about emotional regulation because we're human. Like uh, I, I can see how somebody listening to this podcast right now or read your book for that matter, get very confused with all the techniques and the styles methodology that you offer or anybody else for that matter because you know there's so many things to track and so many things yeah. I have to be attuned i have to be expressive i have to listen to all the little bids and all these things it's almost like you have to uh, be artificially not you in some cases in some cases yeah it comes naturally but in some cases yeah. you know you have to fake it uh, anyway. right so yeah. so it for me it's it's like very confusing for somebody like me that's so, somewhat mature i think in the poly understanding of it but it's very confusing so how does one navigate through this whole yeah yeah great question so take it one letter at a time you know first i would do an assessment and go you're probably doing some of these letters really well right and just like 
celebrate that. Like in, in relationship, there's some things we are doing really well, right? Or great. Oh, that is natural to me, right? I don't have to think about it much. You know, when my partner comes home, I go to hug them. Like that's easy, right? <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, or if I go get a coffee, I ask them if they want a coffee, right? And then where you're not as strong, just take it one at a time, right? And it's not about being fundamentally not yourself. It's just, yeah, we all need to grow and evolve, right? So going, okay, this is one place I need to put effort in to grow and evolve. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I mean, that, yeah. that's that's doesn't uh, stop the confusing, but it's uh, at least it gives you a way to yeah, I think so. unravel it. Exactly. And slowing it down. And in relationship, I would ask my partner, well, which of these that I'm not doing great at is the most important to you that I start to grow in, which would make the most difference for you. Right. And and then, okay, what are two or three things in that category that I can explore trying? Jessica, thank you so much for this incredible insight and your beautiful book and work. Thank in the world. So much to learn from you and from your book. And thank you very much for investing the time and writing it and putting such great perspective of, on poly relationship. And this is not to endorse poly or not to endorse monogamy. This is basically for people to evaluate by themselves. So uh, thank, yeah. you. thank you very yeah, much. You're so welcome. And the workbook, the poly secure workbook just came out. So. Oh, good. We're going to promote that in all of our, any, and actually, let me ask you that how people can reach you. I like them to hear your voice about it. What's the best way to reach you for your Yeah, work? best way to reach me is just my website, jessicafern.com. People can, you know, submit. Um, they can sign up to be notified if I'm giving any free resources or teaching something somewhere. So that's the best way. Yeah. Awesome. Thank, Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank yeah. you. The foundations of all poly relationship really start from a secured basis. Is that correct, Tessa? Absolutely. It's so, and, and it's hard. It's, it, we're all on a journey to become more secure. Some of us were born and you and I definitely had a little advantage there. And our friends are all often amazed that we can manage a polyamorous relationship and our kids. So I think it's because of sec- a lot of secure attachment. It's not easy to be poly. It's yeah. not easy. It really, there's a lot of checks yeah and boundaries and discussions and communication that one has to go through, but it cannot even begin without having some kind of a security. Yeah, and a growing sense of awareness around yourself so you can see how to change the quality of your attention and and give people what they need. I mean, each partner, or if you're someone's monogamous, even to be able to feed them with the ways they need to be fed, which is a lot of attunement and noticing. It takes, it takes that an investment in that partnership. No question about it. It's She goes through the various aspects of how to establish that security. And it's not only for poly. It's also for monogamous relationship that these particular I guess tools, can you call them tools? Yeah. Uh, the, the acronyms of the heart are really something, it, it's a, I guess it's a check, checkpoint. So to, to, I mean, to, right, I think they're good ways to, I think there's, everything is so nuanced and there's overlap in all of it, but we try to structure things somehow so we can look at you and I, for example, could say, where are the areas I could ask you that you want me to work on in this heart's equation? And you can ask me and it helps us in our monogam in our primary home 
And yet, if you're attached very much to a friend and that they're not, and, and you know what you're trying to keep your expectations at minimum, we did, I would call myself a relationship and friendship geek. And so we just did this long for eight week episode uh, series on friendship. In a similar way, if you have someone that's not your primary romantic partner and you want more intimacy and bonding, then that requires a, an attention that takes you to a higher consciousness. It just, of, awareness but it's a secured foundation comes from being safe in a relationship for being secured that the person really likes you is that what the secured foundation is what is a secure foundation means i mean without going to a, a big uh, you know 25 minutes i don't i don't i'm not sure how to explain it and in, in on one foot but secure it's the secure attachment idea that we are not too anxiously or avoidingly attached because our parents or weren't too traumatic with us on either extreme or we didn't have traumatic experiences that created that programming of running away or running toward too much like I see. Avoid, those two things that we talked about that she talked about dismissive or um or too responsive, over-responsive. You know, it's like finding that balance is really the thing and it requires a much higher communication. So that's what Polly does push us to do. And again, I would say that our area in that heart's equation is turning toward conflict and knowing that since you naturally are a little more avoidant and I would I want to end up coming t- to get more attention because of it, Noticing the area that we need to work on is a requirement. So to look at that and say, what do we want from each other and try to tune in more. But do you think that the unsecure feeling stems from jealousy or is it just in our DNA from our trauma in our childhood? Oh, I think it's mostly just in our programming of how we need more than we realize or don't need as much as we really want to express and have it's both of those things and then there's the whole scale of it in the book that we can't possibly analyze all of it and yet how do we at least shift a little bit by having awareness around wow i'm feeling a little bit too anxious here let me see how i can look at myself and say and and say like she said she just has her q words and i thought that was great to say i'm vulnerable i'm struggling and saying it in a way that the other person wants to be responsive so that was key for me to hear that was, that was key for me to hear, too. Like, struggling, and if you use another, I have a flare-up. The flare-up is the same as uh, Kenya Stevens did from the Love Academy, was it? Progressive Love Academy. Progressive Love Academy. That she talked about venting. Oh, I'm going to vent right now. I'm, I'm The animal side of me is going to come out, and I'm going to vent. And she is talking about the same thing, being vulnerable in a way, feeling safe while doing it without having to evoke response. Exactly, right? exactly. So if you would say to me, for example, when you've had a very long day and you're very frustrated, that you may be a little cranky, and if you say in advance, you know what, I'm about to have like not my best night because I'm feeling this crankiness, that's around self-awareness, and then it can allow me to have the space to not respond and react. So it's about that self-awareness. I get it, I get it, I get it, and I learned a lot from this particular uh, polysecure and I need to finish the book. I, I just finished the first chapter about attachment, and I need I need more understanding about it. And uh, this interview surely opened up uh, the understanding for me. Right, because I, even with um, new new relationships that you're pursuing, I think sometimes you you you'll feel a little bit like insecure on some level. What happened? Where'd they go? They're not communicating the way I'm wanting them to. 
rather than knowing how to look at that as this is not even an attached bond yet anyway that you're communicating those needs. So looking at our, yourself for the cues of self-awareness, that's what I, I've been trying to do and learning in my other lovers. Right. And, and my question to her at the end about it's very confusing to be always so attuned and so seeing the delight, all this stuff. And she said very clearly, just take it one letter at a time. Don't get overwhelmed with everything that you need to do in order to be secured, in order to have, you know, a great relationship. Right. And after the interview, we discussed it and turning towards was the T. So it's something we're going to be working on here Uh, in in the Open Nester's original nest. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I agree. Anyway, uh, thank you for joining us for this incredible, fabulous episode. We're very privileged, very privileged to have Jessica Fern on our podcast. And I hope uh, you got something out of it as much as we are. We love you to visit our website, theopennesters.com, double in the middle, S at the end. Drop us a note, let us know what you like to hear, and join our Facebook page and Instagram. We'll close Facebook page that we're discussing these concepts, and as well as uh, on, love you to follow us on Instagram, and to just be in touch with me, because this is a discussion I want to continue to have as subscribers get richer in our in our e-letter, and I start getting out an e-book, and then we cre- can create a community if you want to discuss polyamory at this stage of life. As open nesters, I'm here to do that. Just write to me, Tessa at the open nesters. And we so thank you for sharing and for being open-minded and open-hearted as you are. Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. We'll see you on the next episode. You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive Producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio Engineering by Lucid Sound. Web Design and Blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com. 